Welcome to God Knows Where. I'm Brett Harris. From the talk of violence and war and whose side God is on that we had last week, we're going to take a hard left today. and We're going to talk about something else that we don't like to talk about in the church. Our bodies and sex. And strangely enough, I think our inability to read, much less talk about this book, Song of Songs, I think that actually informs a lot of the reasons that we come to these violent disagreements we have about our beliefs and our opinions and our firmly held thoughts on things. There's only one passage that we ever read from Song of Songs in church, and there's so much more to the story, and there's such a bigger point to the book than we ever allow it to share with us because of how much we avoid reading it. So let me know what you think after you listen to today's episode. You can find the show on Instagram and Facebook and drop me a message there anytime. I was talking to Cliff Vaughn over at Good Faith Media earlier this week after they released not only some great podcasts, but also a new film about the history of women in Baptist ministry. Good Faith Media offers great video production services, so if your organization or your church is looking to produce video content, check them out. They've been great to work with. Cliff is an absolute joy to work with, and I'm grateful for the ways that we work together here at God Knows Where and Good Faith Media. So thanks for listening to today's show. Thanks for listening to all the episodes of God Knows Where. You can find them wherever, and I encourage you to share this show with others. I hope you have a great day. I hope you enjoy today's episode, Body Politics. A reading from Song of Songs. Upon my bed at night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I called him but he gave no answer. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The sentinels found me, and they went about the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the wild does, do not stir up or awaken love until it is ready. I've probably said this before, but I grew up Presbyterian, a member of the Frozen Chosen. The sound of a pencil on paper was too much noise, For the sanctuary where I worshipped. You couldn't adjust your place in your seat without a look from someone down the pew. We would not have clapped or responded audibly if Jesus himself had come back to earth in our sanctuary on a Sunday morning. And we certainly never clapped for any musicians, young or old, who might have stirred something in our hearts. There was no bodily participation in worship below the neck. To give you an idea of just how frozenly chosen we were, I sang in a children's choir that performed probably once a quarter at our church. And one spring, we were singing a song about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho and how those walls came a-tumbling down. Well, in the middle of that last verse of the song, I locked my legs and blacked out. I fell backwards, stiff as a board. 
and I hit the hard wood of the chancel as all my friends sang a tumbling down for the last time. Can't make it up. As they filed out, no one said a word. No one. And aside from my parents who came to pick me up and take me downstairs and make sure I was okay, no one moved. I'm convinced that I could have laid there for the rest of the service, through the sermon, through the prayers, through everything else we would do that morning. And everyone would have just thought, well, it was just predestined to happen this way. (laughs) Worship always took place from the neck up. And yes, there were days of service and work in the community, and I learned firsthand from my parents what a living faith looks like. But as I stretched my wings and I began to shape my own understanding of faith out from under the roof and the steeple in which I was raised, I came to push back against that from the neck up theology, a theology that rejoiced that Jesus came and became human like us, but that kept that joy inside a mind that was very uncomfortable being tethered to a body. And I did it in the best way I knew how, the only way I knew how. I studied religion with my eyes and my brain. I filled my mind with more and more ideas and thoughts and approaches to faith. It wasn't until midway through college that I began to have experiences that shaped for me what incarnation means and how it looks and why it matters that we consider our bodies as much, if not more, than our minds when we explore our faith. And we avoid reading the Song of Songs, this passage that I just shared with you and the rest of the book. We avoid reading it like the plague for the very same reasons we avoid reading Obadiah and Nahum, whom we considered in the previous episode, and and really all the other difficult and violent passages in our scriptures. We avoid Song of Songs because it makes us uncomfortable. But what makes us uncomfortable here is not violence or harm or even God's words. What makes us uncomfortable here is how much it talks about bodies. Living, breathing, beautiful bodies. Bodies that we all have. For as grateful as we are that God came to earth and, as John tells us, put on flesh and dwelt among us, when it comes to church... We don't like talking or thinking about or even admitting sometimes that we have bodies. You might be adjusting in your seat right now at the very thought. And we treat the Song of Songs like a magazine that we're not supposed to be reading or a website that we're not supposed to be scrolling through, but it couldn't be further from that. The Song of Songs is a beautiful book told by a woman who not only loves and is grateful for the body of her beloved, but is grateful that he feels the same way about her. Two people who see the parallels between the beauty that surrounds them on earth and the beauty God put within the face and the arms and the legs and the eyes of the one that they have come to love. Renita Weems tells of Song of Songs that it is a remarkable departure from other books in the Bible. God is never mentioned by name in its pages, and it introduces us to the non-public world of ancient Israel and the attitudes that also shaped the lives of the people there. And one of those attitudes was that pleasure was good, that bodies were to be celebrated. And it's easy. I know it's easy because I've done it. It's easy to snicker at the metaphors and similes the author uses comparing lovers to stags and talking about the beauty of cedars and how much they love each other's teeth and whatnot. 
it's easy to snicker at these images that we don't understand. But we snicker because we don't know how to talk about our bodies in the context of our faith and in the confines of our churches, because instead of remembering that God made us and calls us good, we focus so much on simply keeping ourselves pure. And it's important to be careful about how and when and with whom we share our bodies so that we don't allow or fall victim to someone who only wants to use or abuse us. It's also important, though, and I think these things can both be true at the same time, to learn and to teach one another that our bodies are beautiful. I mean, sometimes I wish mine wasn't so soft in the middle, but our bodies are beautiful and worthy of respect and awe and, yes, enjoyment and pleasure that God gave them to us to use in many ways to move and to dance and to run and to lift and to work and to make new life. If we never learn about ourselves and those we come to love, if we never take stock of these bodies that we've been given and rejoice that we have them, then we risk ending up like the comedian Kevin Thornton's friend who was so divorced from his body, who'd been hammered for so long with the fear and the worry that his body was the source of his problems and his shortcomings and his failings of God, that he admitted that he couldn't touch his wife for the first year of their marriage. And not surprisingly, it fell apart. I don't think any of us want that to happen to anyone. We don't want anyone to be so disconnected and uncomfortable with their body that it causes harm to their relationships. But it does, and it will. It will continue to do that if we continue to remain divorced from our bodies like we are now. If we value purity culture over and above respect and admiration, consumption over connection. And that's not all. Not respecting our bodies and not acknowledging them or or learning about them leads us to not caring about other people's bodies either. Not just in a marital context, but well beyond that, even to the point that we make it okay for us to kill or to shoot or to control other people because we disagree with what they think or believe in our minds. I mean, how many problems in our world, how many intractable issues that we face and debate come down to our opinions or our thoughts or our logical conclusions, all the things we simply hold in our minds about what is right and what is wrong, about who is right and who is wrong. How many of these issues and problems, how many of them consider that, and you name the issue, abortion, healthcare, human rights, marriage, war in the Middle East, whatever. How many of these issues consider that real, actual humans who hurt when they get hit and who bleed when they get cut and who use every single curse word there is in the dictionary when they stub their little toe on a chair leg are on the other side of that opinion or thought or logical conclusion. If we stay stuck in our heads, if we stay stuck with this idea that the only thing our bodies is good for is for staying pure, then we quickly come to believe that our bodies don't matter, that we don't need to consider our bodies. Sometimes we need to ignore our bodies and everyone else's. 
And we come to ignore or overlook or avoid stories, just like the Song of Songs, that celebrate bodies. We become uncomfortable in our own skin, and we become uncomfortable with the skin of others. And there are a litany of consequences to this. The Tuskegee experiment, for one, showed us that when white folks see black folks as less than, then it's okay for us to experiment on their bodies without any consequences. We can give them diseases and withhold treatments so that we might not ever feel their pain. And that mindset can linger for years to the point where we ignore black women's pain and health during childbirth to an alarming extent, making it far more likely for them to lose their babies or to even lose their lives in childbirth. And when we get stuck inside our heads, when we divorce ourselves from our bodies and we stay divorced from them, it's easy for us to look at our kids and air our frustrations with them, sometimes take them out on them when they're forgetful or reluctant or even unhelpful because we forget how new they are to their own bodies, how little they understand about what's happening to them and inside them, and they don't always have the words to tell us. Or perhaps the shining example in our contemporary world of the consequences of being divorced from our bodies took place at Yale's hospital. The story's cataloged in the latest serial podcast, The Retrievals. Dozens of women went to the fertility Dozens of women went to the fertility clinic at Yale there in hopes of finding a way for their bodies to bring new life into their lives. And when the doctors went to retrieve their eggs in hopes of making that possible for them with science that I'll never be able to understand. The women found themselves in incredible pain, despite being anesthetized for the process. Friends and family who'd gone through this before had never experienced such pain and didn't understand what was happening, and the doctors couldn't figure it out either, and they refused additional anesthesia to these parents, thinking they'd given them the maximum dose. Only months later, after some women had been through this process multiple times and endured incredible pain, Without any help, did they learn that a nurse in the clinic with an opioid addiction had swapped their anesthesia for saline so she could prop up her habit? A woman had lost touch with her body so much to the point that she needed to numb herself to make it through the day. And in order to do that, in order to make it through her day, She stole the drugs that would have helped other women endure the process of becoming a mother, something they wanted nothing more than to do, to hold and to care for and to raise a baby. And those that could have helped them fumbled the whole process because they just thought there was something wrong with the women, that they had a low tolerance for pain, and they treated these would-be mothers as the problem, as if there was yet one more thing wrong with their bodies. It's an absolutely horrific story. And yet, it's all too common. When we forget that we're all living inside these bodies we've been given, we can bottle up all kinds of feelings and emotions. We can bury all kinds of pain 
and shame. We can come to hold on to all matter of prejudice and think all kinds of things about all kinds of peoples for all the wrong reasons. And it leads to us. All it leads to us is doing all kinds of harm to other people. But when we remember our bodies, when we can celebrate our bodies and acknowledge that we have them for all these good reasons, when we are in touch with our bodies, we never want anyone to feel any amount of pain. We only want to bring pleasure into the world. And the Song of Songs can help us do that, and we ignore it at our own peril. Sandwiched in between all these other books that we read all the time that give us so many lessons on what to think and how to speak and how to listen, all these things that we do from the neck up, is this book that celebrates our God-given humanity, our form, our body. It reminds us what a wonder and a joy it is to move through God's world like this and to find others who are beautiful as well, to share all life's pleasures along the way. So let's not do what we've done for so long and cram this book under the mattress anymore. Let's read it. Let's allow it to help us to see the beauty in one another, above and below our necks, the beauty God put in each and every one of us so that we can love one another more deeply, so that we can bring more joy and less judgment into the world, more pleasure and less pain, so we can see one another just the way God made us. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife, Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family, and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. It'll mean the world to me, and it'll help more people find God Knows Where. Thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening. Until next time, take these words from William Sloan Coffin with you. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them, and your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire.